Amos chapter 8 is a juggernaut, and the Lord really put it on my heart earlier in the week end that uh, bodies, bodies everywhere was maybe not the topic at hand for this morning. And so something rare here this morning at Mount Zion, a topical sermon, which is I think okay occasionally as long as it's approached exegetically. Amen. So this morning, briefly out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, disciple the verb. And in Matthew chapter 28, we see written what is the basis of what you saw here today. This is the direct outcome of the words of our Lord in the ministry of his people. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus came and said to them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all. Always to the end of the age. Here at what we have called the Great Commission now on for two millennia, we see Christ speak to his disciples what he expects out of his people. And he begins not with them nor the ones that they will be re reaching out to, but instead he begins in the place that all things begin. He begins with himself. And he says that all authority belongs to him. Later, writing to the Colossians in chapter 1 in verses 15 through 20, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, will enlighten us as to why all authority belongs to him. And it is because it is always belonged to him. And everything that he has authority over is that which proceeded forth from him. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the apostle writes and says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And all these were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Cross. Paul says that the reason that it is true that all authority is given to Christ, that all authority belongs to Christ, is because all things came from him and were produced specifically for him. And concerning this authority, this power over all that he has that was created by him, whether it be thrones, that being seats of authority, or dominions, masters, lordships, whether it be rulers, literally the beginnings. Profound statement. The authorities 
the exosias, the powers, literally, that which is allowed. Christ rules over all of it. He rules over the seats of power because he created them. He rules over the lordships because he created them. He rules over the beginnings of all things because he was their beginning. He rules over the powers, the forces, the authorities, that which is allowed because it is he that allows them. They were created by him. They were created for him. You say, how can this be? Because in him and him alone, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell among men. The fullness of God. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. When Jesus condescended in the incarnation to come and walk amongst the fallen of Adam, he did not condescend to set his deity aside. He condescended to set his glory aside. And to come in the form of a man. But he did not set aside his deity. As a matter of fact, the very one that is spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, the one that is described like this, that there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw that there was the appearance of fire and there was a brightness around him like the appearance that is in the bow in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around him. Friends, the reality is, is in Christ Jesus, the eternal, unapproachable God is manifesting himself into the world. As John would write in his gospel in the first chapter in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This being that Ezekiel saw, that was like emerald and crystal and fire, that he could not even wrap his mind around to the point that he just has to say over and over and over, I saw what appeared to be his waist. I saw what appeared to be a throne. I saw something that I don't understand and I cannot reconcile myself. This he has made known. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. That is why all authority is given. But have you note in Colossians where he is speaking about that authority? He is speaking about it not in a general or broad perspective, but specifically as it applies to salvation. And Scripture teaches that Christ he teaches Scripture teaches that Christ has eternally had this authority, that he presently has this authority, and he will maintain this authority through all future eternity. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Before the foundation of this world, the authority of Jesus Christ was active in predestining his people today, we have seen witness born to that, to particular salvation, but that authority isn't just in the past. That authority is now. It is in the presence. Back in Colossians in chapter 2 now, in verses 6 through 15, Paul will write and say this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head and of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him." The authority that Christ exercised in eternity past in predestining his people was then executed in the present. When he brought his people to himself, triumphing over the enemy that would seek to oppress them. But it's not just the past and it's not just the present. That authority that has been given to him is for all future eternity. Daniel saw it in chapter 7. Verse 13 through 14, setting far away in Babylon. And he saw the glory of the authority of Christ, triumphant in salvation over his enemies, showing grace to his people. When it says that I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion, an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the authority that Christ is speaking about to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Before we can even begin to talk about the execution of the Great Commission that ends up in baptism and teaching, 
we first have to talk about the foundational authority from which all of these things spring. And it's him. The one who is before all things, from which all things came. The one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That a God that was unapproachable by mortal men could be approached and be seen. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Now, having settled the issue of authority, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, the word disciple is used a lot in the text. As a matter of fact, the word disciple, the noun, meaning a disciple, a person, is used 261 times in the New Testament. The verb form of the word is only used four times. So you have a noun that is a disciple, like... John, for instance, or James, or Luke or Emily. But then you have the, the, the verb disciple, the action that means to go about discipling and doing the things that disciples do. And that verb is only used four times in the whole New Testament, and this is one of them. And I point that out to you because if you read it in the English, we take two words to describe one Greek word. And so we have the word for disciple, which is a noun, and then we take the English word for make, which is a verb, and we stick those together. We use these two words to translate a single Greek verb. And the reason that's important is not so that preachers can look smart and, and, and fill time in the sermon and all those sorts of things. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to cut time out of this sermon. The reason I want to point that out is because when you read it in the English, while it is technically a correct translation of the Greek, it often leads us to the wrong mindset. What it ought to say is this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations. Not go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Technically correct. You're almost certainly going to misunderstand. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations because there's nuance in the difference. The emphasis here in the English sounds like the point is to produce nouns. What I've got to go do is I've got to go out, is what Jesus said, and I have to produce disciples. If that is the case... The prophet Jeremiah was a miserable failure. What he says is, now, now look, I said that the emphasis here is not on that which is produced. The product is certainly in view. <laughs> the product's certainly in view, but it's not the emphasis. The emphasis is in the verb. It's in the doing. The emphasis is in the means by which the product will indeed be produced, but not in the product itself. And you know why the difference is in, you know why that emphasis is, is important? Because those being commanded to go out and do have zero ability to actually produce. Human beings don't make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go do and leave the production up to the one that has the authority to actually do it. 
So here's the deal, guys, and this is the, you want to talk about legalism. You can get tripped up right here. You can find yourself in a place where I got to go out and keep count, man. I haven't, you know, I haven't led anybody to the Lord in the last three weeks. What am I going to do? I'm failing this thing that Christ said to do, and that's not what he said. He said this. He said, I have the authority. I'm the one, and why does the authority come? Because I create it all. If it's created, it is created through him in no other way. You want a disciple created? Guess who creates it? The one to whom the authority to create it has been given. That being said, God has seen fit in his mercy and his grace to give us a place in his kingdom, the means by which these things are realized. And so basically what we need to say here is let's make sure that we get the hierarchy of glory and responsibility right. We're going to give it all to Christ. All authority has been given to him, and because it's been given to him, he has commissioned us that we may go do, and because of his power and his authority working through what is being said and what is being testified to, we may actually see glorious results produced by the creator of all things when he creates the new creation. Go, therefore, and disciple. Go and do. The nature of doing always springs forth out of being. Matthew chapter 12, just a few pages back. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Because your actions are going to define your being. So if I go out and I do the wrong thing and I say the wrong thing, that's going to mean I am the wrong person? No, Jesus says exactly the opposite. Jesus says it's because your being is that from which your actions spring. Your being is where your doing comes from. If the tree's good in its being... Its action will be to produce good fruit. If the tree is evil in its being, its action will be to produce bad fruit. Our actions are both driven by our character and therefore the revelation of that character. What is underneath that cannot be seen is revealed by what it drives us to do why Paul says test yourself and so the beautiful conclusion of what we see Christ commanding here in Matthew chapter 28 is this that disciples the noun disciples the noun because of what they are that being disciples of Christ therefore go about and disciple the verb those who are the disciple go about doing disciple kind of things. 
Just like good trees go about producing good fruit and bad trees go about producing bad fruit, so too do disciples go about producing disciply things. And because all authority has been given to the master of the disciples and he has seen fit to use them as the means by which that authority is shown into the world, then the reality is, is when disciples go about doing disciply things, Christ produces more disciples which go about doing disciply things. And Christ produces more disciples. And they go about doing disciply things. And over and over and over and over for 2,000 years until we arrive right here today. Continuous. Without break or pause. Friends, from before the foundation of time. From before the foundation, we're going to do the same thing again next week. From before the foundation of time, it was purposed in the heart of the Lord for everything that occurred up to the testimony that you heard today to bring about the testimony that you heard today. Now, you want to talk about seeing the loving character of God for his people. Friends, that is one complex plan to bring you to the moment of testimony. Christ says there's a certain methodology. A particular way that this must be approached. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and disciple all nations. How? Number one, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the first thing we get to in the methodology of discipling as the disciples going about doing disciply kind of things, the first thing they are to do is to baptize them. Now, if you know the doctrine that lies behind baptism, when he says that, that's a mouthful. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean like Constantine, you you know, you you dip some branches in some water and baptize the troops as they're all marching by to go to war. Doesn't mean that you go dunking as many people as you can dunk. Scriptural baptism has all sorts of requirements that go along with it because it is the emblematic symbolism of a very real spiritual reality that must already be in existence. Baptism requires the confession of sin. According to Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, it requires repentance that accompanies salvation. According to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and most importantly, it requires the faith that accompanies salvation, not simply the belief in who God is, the demons do that and shudder, but the belief in who he is and that he, out of love, rewards those who seek him. All of that must come for the testimony of baptism to stand. It requires confession. It requires repentance. It requires faith. It requires faith that is only produced as the result of the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, 
if the Great Commission contained everything it contained except for the authority statement of Christ that comes before it, then it would be a hellish command. Because it would be a command for you to go forth and do something that is impossible to accomplish. A person cannot produce the faith of salvation of their own accord, nor can you provoke it in someone of yours. It is solely the gift of God himself, so that no one may boast, either the one who has faith or the one that told them about Christ, that they might have faith. It's the gift of God. If it wasn't for the authority statement, all the Great Commission would be a hellish thing indeed. You have to have faith that is the gift of God. You have to have faith that is like a child. As Jesus said in Luke 18, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You must have faith, that faith that comes with confession and repentance. For faith is enough to save, but it's not enough to equip. And that's why Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say you just baptize them as the testimony of their confession and their repentance and their faith. But you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you do point number two of the methodology. You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. If disciples are going to go about doing disciply things in the authority, under the authority of Jesus Christ, then they must provoke people to confession and to repentance and to faith that leads to baptism and, and this is a big and, this is not a or, they must do that and they must teach to observe all that Christ commanded. Now, all that Christ commanded would obviously include the New Testament. It would also include the Old Testament. For in John chapter 5 verse 39 Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and that at the time was nothing but the Old Testament. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And Jesus Christ said every single thing that had been written up to the point of his birth, this is one of the reasons we're doing incarnation starting on Wednesday, is because every single thing that had been written in scripture up until the point of his birth, every single bit of it was about him. It all spoke to him. You go, man, I read some of that. I don't know how it speaks about Christ. Man, I don't either. I can't wait to find out how. It's going to be awesome when we do because every single bit of it speaks about him. Man, we can't short shift the Old Testament. We can't teach it like little moralistic stories to our children and leave it alone. It is a shame that in the church today we have so little functional knowledge of how the Old Testament actually works. It's a shame we have so little functional knowledge about how the New Testament actually works, but there you go. You have to teach them. You have to teach them to observe all that he has taught them. This is where equipping, this is where preparation comes from. This is how you become strong. And that is in knowing the word. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is, I'm, I'm done. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says it like this as he writes to the young pastor in verses 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you got two things in the methodology of disciples going about doing disciply things. That through the authority of Jesus Christ, we're going to see baptism that is the testimony of salvation, that's the testimony of faith, and then having arrived at this new creation, this new heart that gives us the mind of Christ, then we're going to press in and we're going to teach them to observe all, all that he has commanded. Why do we do this? It is because in teaching this word, this scripture that was breathed out by God, that you're reproved, that you're corrected, that you're trained so that you may be complete and equipped, basically ready to rock and roll for every good work. You don't have that at the moment of your regeneration. At the moment of your regeneration, you are a babe in Christ. Man, you're you're drinking milk and that's exactly what you ought to be drinking because you're a baby. You don't feed babies New York Strip. They'll choke on you. Problem is, is that far too often in Western churches today, and guys, we need to look back to Europe as an example of this because they're basically about 90 years ahead of us, and we're going down the same road. In Western churches today, we focused the Great Commission all too often on the ability of men and not on the authority of Christ even if we did give him a little lip service. But having arrived at baptism, we were satisfied to call that disciples doing disciply things. When the reality is, is that is only the first half of the equation. And we must move on into pressing into Scripture and teaching them to obey because it is in the teaching of this word that people are equipped for what is coming. We have often been satisfied to leave far too many with childlike faith. Man, we want to champion childlike faith. That's the way you come to salvation. Man, we praise the Lord when a new baby's born. We love it when the nursery rotation has to be heavy. We would be mourning if 10 years later they were all still in the nursery Milk's great for a baby. If you're 20 and that's still all you can stomach, you have a major issue. Man, can you imagine how sorrowful you would be if your child never grew? Oh, sure, mom and dad remember, and they say, oh, they're not, they're not that little for very long. Hold on to those sweet times. Friends, I would, I would challenge you to say that the only, times those, the only reason that those are sweet is because they are fleeting, and if that season remained, you would not find it to be sweet anymore. It's not what's supposed to happen. They're supposed to grow, and they're supposed to be ready. They're supposed to be equipped. And the word and digging into it is how you do it. Oh, friends, a baby doesn't have to know very much to be born. All it has to do is be bloody and screaming. But to grow into the fullness of manhood and womanhood in Christ takes a lot of knowledge. Knowing the word. Why is it important to press forward? 
Is it important to press forward so we can say, hey, man, I'm, I'm mature, right? Every boy, boy wants to be the man. I'm the man. Is that why? No, that's not why. The reason it's important to press forward is because there is much at stake. If we read this same section out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, but instead of starting in verse 16 with this statement about how the word equips, but instead back up to verse 10, give us a little context. Paul says this, you, however, he's speaking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Man, Paul needed to be equipped. He needed to be prepared. He needed to be ready because, dude, he had a rough run. But it's not just Paul. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, let me tell you something. All, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't care that for the last few generations that persecution hasn't been as clear here in the good old U.S. of A. as it traditionally has been historically. But the reality is, is it's always there. It ebbs and flows. Sometimes you see it more than others. And I would tell you, I'm no prophet, but I'm telling you, based off what Scripture says and what we see around us, it is about to flow. All who would live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he says, dig in, kid. Remember what you were taught from your youth. Parents, teach them from their youth. We endeavor to do it every day. Equip them. Grow them. Get them off milk. Don't make excuses for them. Let them choke on a cracker a little bit. If you never let a kid gag, if you don't ever go, now you don't want him turning blue on you, but if you don't ever let a kid gag and get the watery eyes and turn red in the face, he'll never get off the milk. He'll never get there. You got to do it, man. You give him the saltine, you know how it is. They sit there, roll the corners off of it, gets completely disgusting, right? And they've got it in their hair. It's like spackle. You know, and it's in their ear, you find two days later, and they roll the corners off of it, finally get the whole thing in their mouth, you know, and everybody's like, you know, you can always tell the moms that are first-time moms versus the one that's got five kids, because the first-time mom's like, oh, goodness, and the first-time dad's like, oh, goodness, and the guy with five kids is like, whack, he's fine. You know? <laughs> this is what kids do. It's tough. They get, I mean, when he says, you teach them all that I've commanded, guys, that's a load. That's a load. You only have so much time in your life. There is so much stuff here. That means you don't really get to take it at nearly as slow of a pace as we would all like to think you get to take it. you got to push into this thing. we got to get them ready because persecution will come. 
It's not an if, it's a when. And when it comes, those that bring this persecution and more importantly, the spiritual reality that lies behind them, they don't care if they're an infant or not. Couldn't care less. The nature of the enemy that is spoken of is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You know, we have this real Western mindset when it comes to war that says what we can't have is collateral damage. And because of that, we do a really poor job of fighting wars these days. We're scared to death. We're going to blow something up that is not exactly a weapon aimed at us. This enemy does not have that sensibility. As a matter of fact, this enemy would relish to come against you and find nothing but milk-sucking infants. They are grist for the slaughter. You got to disciples, you got to go do discipley things. You got to see them come to the testimony of salvation. Oh, but you can't stop there. You have to teach them to observe. Because this always comes. And therefore, it is coming. You go, man, that's. Whoa, yeah, guess what? Praise God that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. All authority. Therefore, you can go do something and participate in something that you should have no ability to participate in or see results out of. You can go and proclaim a gospel to a people who would absolutely 100% to the last man, woman, boy, and girl reject it and see some believe because all authority has been given to the one that creates and he creates the new creation. You can teach that which is deep and hard and heavy and that you act on. And you can do it because all authority has been given unto him not only to bring about the new creation but then to sanctify the new creation into the image of the one who said it all. This is how Christians are born. This is how Christians grow to the full measure of manhood and womanhood in the image of Jesus Christ. Go boldly. Authority has been given to Christ. And not only has it been given to him, but he specifically says that the one to which authority has been given, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we go about doing disciply things, we don't do them alone. Christ goes with us. And he goes with us in the authority and power that is his and his alone. And it is a good thing that he does. Because the object of doing the disciply things is always the enemy. You let that sit in for a minute. When disciples go about discipling, they're not discipling, at least in phase one, they're not discipling Christians. They're not discipling friends. 
to get to the point of baptism in the methodology, you have to go forth doing disciply things to your enemy. Romans 10 or 5.10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Friends, if you're going to see him be baptized, if you're going to see the testimony of regeneration, that means they started as enemies. When you went and began doing disciply things to them, they were your enemy, and that by default, especially when we talk about an enemy that is primarily not flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, they are inherently dangerous. They're dangerous to you, they're dangerous to me, they're dangerous to your children. Notice Jesus doesn't put any kind of qualification for age on this. He says, go therefore, disciples, and go be discipling. It means if you've got a seven-year-old that's born again, then, hey, kid, you're surrounded by a bunch of other seven-year-olds that aren't born again. And while from a humanistic perspective we may look at that and not say it's a dangerous thing, according to a scriptural perspective, indeed it is. You don't get to hide them away from it. They've got to be engaged. They've got to be proclaiming the truth. Little disciples do disciply things too. And it's okay. Because... The one to whom all authority has been given is going with them as well. And in his goodness and his wisdom, he knows exactly what they can't handle and exactly what he can. And praise the Lord that he's not most likely going to call your seven-year-old to, you know, go do ministries down at the Hell's Angels Club. But you better believe he's calling your seven-year-old that's born again to do ministry amongst his peers or her peers. Discipleship, by definition, requires contact with very dangerous enemies. It's okay. It requires you to go out and arrive at an end goal that you have no ability to arrive at. It's okay. Because all authority has been given to him. And he goes with us. We see the very results of it testified to today. I look forward to seeing it testified to again next week. And if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then if I may for a brief moment, let me do something a little bit disciply. I'm just going to tell you how it is because that's, if I try to soften things up, people think I'm being patronizing. So if you don't know Christ as your Lord first and as your Savior second, I would suggest that you do that as quickly as possible. For he is all that is good. He is all that is good. He saves his people. He forgives sin. He paid for it with his own life. If you will but confess, repent, and receive the gift of faith, you will be saved even where you set this very moment. Pray that you do. It's a good day.